This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So I said when I opened up that um, we're going to connect some dots and talk about the completeness of the Jesus story. And last week I talked about the death of Jesus, his trials, the brutality that happened. It was a very dark time. And I, I guess I need to apologize for last Sunday because I don't feel like I did a very good job giving it away. Um, it's kind of like last Sunday was Friday, but Sunday's coming, if you're familiar with that um, story or sermon. Evie Hill preached a sermon many years ago called It's Friday, but Sunday's coming, alluding to the death, the crucifixion of Jesus on Friday, but then there was something to look forward to because he rose from the dead on Sunday. And so maybe last Sunday was Friday, and it's a difficult subject to talk about. If you don't feel it, if it doesn't move you, if it's not sad, if it's not dark and depressing, then something's wrong with you, something's wrong with your emotions. Because if you heard that story about any human being, it would be tough. But when you're talking about Messiah, the Son of God, who came to redeem people from their sins, having to go through that kind of torture, and then the death by crucifixion, that's tough stuff. And I don't, you know, again, I don't feel like I did a very good job of, of executing the delivery of it. Uh, and that was confirmed to me when I walked out of the room because Brother Jimmy stands back here with a bucket at the end of the service collecting the offering. And usually he's smiling when I walk out and he may say something like, hey, you did good. Or he may say something like, hey, that was one of your better ones. Or he may say something like, one time he said, I believe that's the best you ever did. Well, last Sunday when I walked out, he just kind of looked at me with a strange look on his face like he didn't know what to say. So I thought, well, there you go. He feels the same way about it that I do. But it's Sunday, and it's Easter Sunday, and it's going to be better, I guarantee it. All right? We're going to talk about the completeness of the Jesus story. Now, I listened to a debate recently on YouTube. It was two and a half hours long, so I had to kind of split it up in segments, sitting in my office during the lunch hour sometimes up in Atlanta, and... Um, but the debate is between two super intellectual university professors, philosophers, well-respected, renowned in their fields. But the difference between them is, is that one is an atheist and one is not. And so a lot of the debate was around the belief in God or the lack of belief in God. And, but that wasn't all it was about, but there was a serious focus on that. And as they wound it down toward the end, the guy who is the atheist really started to press in on the other guy to give him a concise, clear answer to a question. Because the other guy is, I mean, any question you ask him... He goes on a 10-minute uh, journey down a pathway using lots of really big words, uh, lots of things that just went straight over my head because I'm not on that level. 
uh, and just sort of wandering down a pathway and has trouble really zoning in on a clear and concise answer. But the atheist guy is looking for a clear and concise answer to this question. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive today? That was his question. And he said to him before he asked it, he said, Now, I don't want the kind of answer you usually give. That's just uh, wandering around all over the place, never really get to the point. I respect you. I respect your, you know, your mental capacity, your bandwidth. But right now, I'm just looking for a very concise one-sentence answer to the question, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive today? And what do you think the guy's answer was like? He started wandering around down a pathway all over the place. And the guy interrupted him. He said, no, 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 you're not hearing me. That's not what I'm looking for. If you can't give me an answer, just say I can't give you an answer, but please don't give me that kind of answer. And the other guy says, well, I can't give you the kind of answer you're asking for because it's a complicated question with a complicated answer, and the debate has been going on for 2,000 years. You can't expect me just to boil it down to one sentence and satisfy you. <clears throat> and the guy said, look, it's not that hard. If you ask me, he says, that question, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive today? Here's my answer. Almost certainly not. What's so hard about that? Why can't you do that? You claim that you believe in God. You claim that you believe in Jesus. You claim you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Why can't you answer the question the way I would answer it in, in that many words? Yes, I believe it. End of sentence. And the guy just said, I just can't do it. It's too complicated. The answer's too complicated. There's too much to it. There's way more to it than you're talking about. And it, the debate's been going on 2,000 years. And that's where they left it. Now, I know the thought and the idea that's probably in most of your heads right now. Because I know that if I ask you today, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is still alive today, most of the people in the room are just going to give me a yes. Am I right or am I off? Okay. And that's good. That's fine. I have no problem with that. So I agree with that, and I agree with the guy asking, can you give me a short, concise answer? I don't have any problem with it. But I have to tell you today that I really don't disagree with the other guy. I really don't disagree because I don't think any of us can argue that there's a lot to it. There's a whole lot to it, isn't there? It, it is a complicated subject. That's why it's been going on for so long, and that's why it's still as intense and profound and important and relevant as it's ever been. And it has been going on for 2,000 years. So I have to agree with that as well. All right. 
So what I, in just tossing that around for days, thinking about it, meditating on it, what would my answer be? What if I was on the debate stage with anybody talking about this subject and that question was presented to me? How would I handle it? What would my answer be? And I had to go in a big, huge circle to arrive where I needed to land. Because the Jesus story is not just about his death and his resurrection. The Jesus story is not just about that along with his virgin birth and everything that surrounded that. Nor is it just about the miracles that he worked and the preaching and teaching that he did. As a matter of fact, I think I can accurately say that the Jesus story is not just wrapped up inside of the 33 and a half years that he lived as a human being on earth. You're going to walk away from here today, unless you're deaf or dead, or you sleep through the message. You're going to walk away from here, I think, with a better understanding of the completeness of the Jesus story than you've ever had. And if, there are two goals in this. One is so that you will have it for your own benefit, and another is so that as you live your life and carry on relationships and do business and have conversations and communication with other people, you will know how to discuss the Jesus story in its completeness, and this is what the world needs. If the world needs anything at all, it needs representatives of Jesus Christ telling the truth, knowing what they're talking about, and knowing more than just the shallow surface level details that were passed on to them by their parents, grandparents, and Sunday school teachers. We need more. We need to dig deeper. We need to dive deeper. We need to examine more. We need to study it out. We need to do our research. We need to meditate on what we find. And we need to do all of that prayerfully and by the Spirit. And He will teach us more than we ever knew existed around the Jesus story. The completeness. So... There are over 400 prophecies in the Scripture that point to the coming of Messiah, what it would look like, what the details around it would be. We're going to look at a few of those in a minute. More than 400 prophecies that ended up being fulfilled through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. But I want us to go back first to the start, because if we're going to talk about completeness, we have to talk about the beginning, right? We have to go to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
But what does that have to do with the completeness of the Jesus story? What does that have to do with Jesus at all? I can't go back before that because we're not given any information before that. Jesus existed before that, and so did the Father, and so did the Spirit, but we have no detail, we have no information, so we would just be wandering around in the dark to try to go back before that, but we can start right here, and we find that the Father has decided to create the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep, so who's present in the story so far? The Father is present in the story, and the Spirit is present in the story, but hold on. God is a three-person Godhead, a three-person Trinity, right? So where is the third person? God opens His mouth, and He lets a word, He releases a word from His mouth. And He says, let there be light. You go to John chapter 1 in the New Testament. The introduction of Jesus Christ on the earth by the Apostle John. And how does he introduce him? He says, in the beginning was, in the what? In the beginning was what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and by Him everything was made that was made, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Any questions about where the Word was in the beginning? Well, who is the Word? He introduces Him, He says, and he came to earth, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's pointing to the man, Jesus Christ. He's talking about John the Baptist, who came as a forerunner and, and paved the way for him to arrive. And here he is, the living, breathing, active, working Word of God, the same Word that was in the beginning. So we have a starting point. And God's Word is what? Let there be light. How does Jesus identify Himself? Later in the Gospel of John, John 12, He says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. But it's not brand new. It started here when his father opened his mouth and released that word, and that word was light, and light came into the world. But it's only now that he's shown up in human form. And so then we start to see after the Genesis account and the beginning, the creation, and how the sun was right there active in the middle of it how it is foretold all through the Old Testament that He would come as a human being, what He would go through, and all the details of the story. Listen, I read this. It blew my mind. Like I said, 400 prophecies foretelling the coming of Messiah in the Old Testament. 400. All of which were, were fulfilled. Okay, here's what I read. The odds that only eight of 400 would be fulfilled. 
you, you could never guess it. The odds that eight prophecies given hundreds and thousands of years earlier would actually happen hundreds and thousands of years later in the life of a person that was pointed to through those prophecies way back, the odds that eight of the 400 is one in one quadrillion. But every single one of them was fulfilled. What does one in one quadrillion mean? Can anybody even explain that? Well, there's a scientist who put it together who was an atheist slash scientist who after he put it together was no longer an atheist but just a scientist, a believing scientist. Here's what those odds look like. If you took tiles one and a half inches squared and placed them on, here's a piece of bubble gum, it's probably about the size of one of those tiles. And you started to lay those tiles down on every piece of dry land on planet Earth. Until you had covered, you see how much that covers, right? Until you had covered the entire planet in one and a half inch tiles. And one of those tiles was painted red on the bottom. And whoever placed the tiles could put it anywhere they want to on the seven continents. And they turn you loose and challenge you to walk the face of the earth and you can only flip over one tile. What are the odds you'll flip over the tile with the red bottom? One in one quadrillion. Those are the odds. Have I reinforced so far anybody's belief that Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive today? You see, we got to dig deep. We have to know what we're talking about. If there's ever a time in the history of humankind that we'd better know where we stand and we'd better know what we're talking about and we'd better have a firm foundation that we're building our life's house on, it is now. Because the dividing lines are being drawn Believers are going to be pushed into a corner and they're going to have to be highly confident of who they are in Christ and they're going to have to fully know this Christ whom they claim. Remember when Jesus said, many are going to cry, Lord, Lord, and I'm not going to recognize their voice, I'm not going to know their face, and I'm not going to know their name. Those are the people who have a surface knowledge of who He is, People who've, people who've inherited some level of, of spirituality or religiosity or Christianity from relatives. I don't want to be in that camp. I just don't. It's my problem with even being called a Christian these days is I just don't want to be lumped in the category with a bunch of lukewarm people. I just don't. 
I want to be called a kingdom son. I want to be called committed. I want to be called fully on board. I want to be called a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. We've got to dig deep to get there. Here's a few prophecies. You know, we could be here all day and all day tomorrow wading through all of them. Here's just a few. Genesis 4 tells us that he would come from the tribe of Judah. Matthew 1, we know that happens. Jeremiah 23 and Psalm 132, we're told that he would be a descendant of David. We, find, we know that, ha that happened. That's told in the Gospels. And speaking of David, I think it's a really cool thing. This is one of the results of digging deep. You gain understanding of the, all the intricacies of this thing and how beautiful and perfect the picture is that God put together. David is the exact right guy for Jesus to descend from. Why? Well, there's several reasons. One is because he is a man who loves God and worships God with all of his heart. But David is also a representative of you and me. He's got problems in his life. He has messed up royally on more than one occasion. He has disappointed God and people. He's committed adultery and he set the woman's husband up to be killed. He's, he's been an awful human being here and there, but he always keeps coming back to God in a spirit of repentance, in a spirit of humility, and in a spirit of worship. And that's the lesson for us. Us. and he's a king that he would be born in Bethlehem is told in Micah 5 and Matthew 2 and Luke chapter 2 that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7 fulfilled in Matthew 1 and 2 that he would heal the sick is in Isaiah 35 and we see that all throughout the gospels now you want to get pretty specific in Zechariah chapter 9, we are told that the Savior would enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. We, did that happen? Yeah, that was last week, right? Look, we have two choices. We can either believe that these prophecies were fulfilled, or we have to believe that Jesus took the time during his life to research all of this all the way back, to know all these details, to basically have the Old Testament memorized, and then made a decision to formulate his life and to make sure all of these things happened. But even at that, you would have to discount the supernatural because there's no way he could have planned out his virgin birth, correct? I don't think that would be possible. And even if he decided that because the Old Testament prophesies he would heal the sick, how does that make him capable of working miracles and healing the sick? Because it's prophesied that he would be tried and whipped and abused and killed. How does that give him the capacity just to make a decision to do that? Impossible. Part of God's plan. That he would be betrayed. That the price of betrayal would be 30 pieces of silver. It's very specific in the prophecies back to David again. You know that there are more prophecies about Messiah in the Psalms than anywhere else in the, in the Old Testament. How appropriate that David who wrote most of the Psalms would be the one who's telling us what the Savior who will follow in his bloodline 
would look like and be like and what he would do. That he would be denied, rejected, mocked, beaten. That lots would be cast for his clothing. That they would give him vinegar to drink. That his bones would not be broken. That he would not open his mouth. That he would rise again. All these things were foretold way back before they ever happened when he arrived on the planet. So the completeness, I mean, all we're doing is really touching the surface of what there is today. And so my challenge will be for you to go from here and to start digging, digging, digging. Research it for yourself. Get a better education on the person of Jesus than you've ever had. Look, the prophecies were fulfilled. He was falsely accused. He was taken to trial. He was falsely convicted. He was sentenced to death. He hung on a cross until he died. There's historical record around much of this. But then they went to the tomb to anoint his body, and the body was not there. Now I have to tell you, if all you had was a couple ladies who are wrapped up in a lot of emotion and disappointment and confusion and disillusionment because a person they really believed in ended up not being what they thought he was going to be, the king, the savior, the, the rescuer. If a couple of ladies like that had just gone to the tomb and came back with a story that the body's not there. If that's all the testimony we have, then we would have more trouble believing it, right? But that's not all there is. There's no way to put together all the things, all the testimonies, all the witnesses, and walk away with any other conclusion because so many of these people were disconnected from each other. They didn't even know each other, but they come with the same story. I saw him. I heard from him. He spoke to me. He showed me his wounds. It is the Savior. More than 500 people saw him with their own eyes between the time of his resurrection and the time of his ascension back to the Father. Where's the power now? Where's the power now? We know what came out of it. He told his followers before he left, he said, I want you to go to this room in Jerusalem, I want you to wait there and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you because you're going to have to have him. He's going to fill every gap and every void that you're going to sense after I'm gone because he's God just like I am. They went there and they waited and it happened. They came out of that room. Peter preached on the first day and 3,000 converts came and joined the way and believed his message on day one. I consider that there's a lot of power in that, but again, if that's all there was, if the story stops, if there are no other accounts except that one, I would have a harder time believing it. Although it is pretty radical that 3,000 people would embrace a message they have never heard one slightest bit of information about ever in their lives. It's totally brand new. And 3,000 people believe it instantly. But it doesn't stop there. What happens on day two? More people join. What happens on day three? What happens in week two? What happens in month eight? People continue to join. Here's the power. It's growing. The message is going out. How do you have men and women 
who say, I believe in this so profoundly and so deeply, I'm so convinced that I'm willing to go out and give it away and live my life in service to Him and in service to other people, even if they're going to kill me for it. You know what the truth is in the church, quote, unquote, today? If they started herding us all into corrals and threatening us, either you deny or you die, I wonder what percentage would say, oh, I'm out of here. I don't believe that. Deny or die, what are we going to do? Well, the people in the book of Acts, the people in the epistles, the churches that Paul wrote to, they said, we'll die. The apostle Paul was murdered because of what he did. The Apostle James was murdered. Andrew was murdered. Simon Peter was hung upside down on a cross and crucified. None of them ever said, no, hold on, I take that back. I'd rather live than to continue to say this is true. They were convinced. And they had many convincing proofs. Proofs. Scripture tells us, left them without question. Where's the power in it? The launch of the church that has not stopped up until this minute. Now, you've heard me say a couple of little, tiny, uh, slightly critical things about the church here. You, all you got to do is come here one Sunday to hear that, but, um, but I'm not going to hang out there, right? Regardless of what... Uh, the depth of experience for each individual is or the churches or whatever. Listen to this. Some 2,000 years later, there are 37 million. 37 million Christian churches on the earth. How can this not be true? How can something get a hold of the lives of people so, so tightly, get ingrained in cultures so deeply? You say, well, there are other religions that have been around a long time. Yeah, but the difference between this one and those is they don't purport to have a Savior who was killed, who rose from the dead, who offers the gift of eternal life through His resurrection. That makes this story way different than their stories. You see, their people were here, but their people died, and they're still just believing in the philosophies that their people brought. Well, Jesus didn't bring any philosophy. He brought the truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can get into the heart of God unless they come through me. Nobody else says that. The power of the fact that it's still real. I mean, we're right here today on April the 17th, 2022, Easter Sunday, talking about this story, the completeness of the story, the power of the story, 2,000 years later. And finally, I don't know if there's anything additional for you but I can't close it off right here unless I'll tell you about the additional thing for me. If I was sitting on the stage 
with Sam Harris or Jordan Peterson. Those are the two guys that were having the debate, if you want to look it up and watch it. I could not walk away from that debate without talking about my own experience. Right? Because, look, you can argue theories. That's the nature of a theory is it can be argued. That's what debate is all about. You can argue opinions. Everybody's got one. And people love to argue their opinions. If you want to see a classic example of that, just go to the barn with Tracy and I and start talking about how to deal with the animals. Our opinions are light years away. That's why I go out there by myself now, and she goes out there by herself. And my way's right, by the way. Is she? She's not in here. Is she? You can argue opinions. You can argue philosophy. You can argue about ideas. Who's got the best idea? There is one thing you can never argue with me about, and that is my own experience. If I lived it, I know it to be true. If I felt it, you can't tell me I didn't feel it. If I was changed in some way, how are you going to sit across the debate table from me and tell me I wasn't changed or tell me anything about my change? So I can tell you this. There was a time when I was a selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed human being. And look, I've been in ministry for, what, 34 years now? There's a significant chunk of the early years, like 15 years of my ministry that I was still, you could still have described me as that. Self-centered. I was a guy who, at church, was always looking for somebody, because I'm a pastor, I'm on the pastoral staff, whatever, to walk up, and when I shake their hand, they leave a $100 bill in my hand. I was a guy who was going to my mailbox looking for some mailbox money. That was unexpected, and to God be the glory when it happened, right? I was a guy who was looking for a blessing. How many times do we pray for a blessing, and how many times are we praying for a blessing for ourselves? What's the comparison between how often we pray for a blessing for ourselves as opposed to the time that we pray for a blessing for somebody else? When I got to be about 40 years old, I said, you know what? There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong. I'm a believer. I'm in ministry. I'm respected. I'm whatever. But there's something wrong with me. I don't, uh, and my problem was I kept going to the Scripture and looking at the truth that's presented in Scripture, and it seemed like a whole lot of it stood in stark contrast to my life. 
Isn't that a problem? And so, so I said, you know what? I'm done with all the I'm done with all the regular stuff. I'm done with status quo religion. I'm done with church life. I'm done with all. I just I'm done with the, what I inherited. I appreciate the good that I got. I, I, I embrace what's real and true, and I'm grateful for all that. I'm grateful for the way I was raised. But I'm just not going to accept somebody else's testimony as my own. I'm going to get my own. And I started to dig in, and I got into this thing that I call fireside discipleship, and that is when the crowds have gone home. I'm going to keep following the Lord. I'm going to sit down by the fire with him. And I'm going to ask him by the Spirit to explain to me what he was saying to the masses out on the hillside. I'm going to spend that extra time. I'm going to dive deeper. I'm going to go further. I want to know what it is that I'm missing. I want him to fix whatever it is that's wrong. And it didn't happen on day one, but it happened a little bit. And it didn't fully happen in year one, but it happened a little bit more. And over the past 20 years, he has transformed me from the inside out, and nobody can argue with that. He took me from this place to that place, and there's no way I could have gotten from there to here without him. It's been heart change. It's been mind change. It's been a, a shift in the way thought patterns develop in my head. It's been a shift in the way I look at people because I used to look at people very judgmentally, very critically, very cynically. I usually wouldn't, wouldn't believe what you said on the first go-round. You'd have to prove it to me. And he shifted. Kept going back and reading the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not blessed are those who get a prayer answered. Not blessed for those who, who get a blessing. Not blessed are those who feel really good about who they are. Not blessed are those who are always out there looking for something more for me. No, he, he flipped the script on us and we just want to ignore it so often. Experience. Look, some of you have an experience. I can tell by the expression on your face and your confirmations, your body language, and you're shaking your head, but some of you don't. And I'm not questioning your Christianity. I'm just questioning your experience. I'm not going to get into judging what, what qualifies a person to go to heaven. I'm not God. I gave up trying to be God a long time ago. It happened about the same time I gave up being self-centered. <laughs> Because that's what self-centered means. It means you're, you're your own God. And when he said, you shall have no other gods before me, the most likely replacement for him is always us. And it doesn't work. It never will work. So, some of you don't have an experience. You may have prayed a sinner's prayer, but that doesn't make for an experience. That's just the start of an experience. That's a step through a gateway. Now you have a pathway to travel. It's the pathway that gives you your experience. Pathway of obedience, the most powerful word in the English language. Obedience what it's all about. Obedience leads to the growth. Obedience leads to understanding. Obedience leads to wisdom. Obedience is what will take you into the experience he has for you. 
So I don't know. I couldn't get up there and sound intellectual and argue with those guys on that level, but I guarantee you one thing, they'd have no response when I said, hey, I have an experience, I lived it, I know it. There's nothing you can do with it. Nothing you can do with it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was spiritually blind, but now daily I see stuff by the Spirit that I never even dreamed was there. I once had stopped up ears to the things of the Lord, but now all the time He's whispering in my ear and showing me and telling me stuff and bringing understanding to my mind that I never dreamed I would ever be able to tap into. Experience. you got to have your own experience. So I, I, it, there's a challenge before you today. You either just say, I don't believe. You know, it's good for you, but whatever. Okay? If that's you, I got nothing else for you. Or you say, I'm, I'm okay just being an average Christian. I, I don't have anything else for you either. <laughs> I will give you a warning, though. I'm afraid you, that you may end up in the same boat with those who say, I don't want anything to do with it. Because the Bible I read has nothing in the way of average Christianity. Status quo Christianity. It doesn't exist in the Bible. That's something we created as human beings. Where we just go to church on Sundays? No, that ain't in the Bible. Okay, so I'll let y'all read the Bible. And there's a third category. That's fireside discipleship. What does that look like? It's like getting up every morning, sitting down with his word and saying, Father, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to take a little bite here, and I want you to teach me everything you want to teach me out of this, and I'm not moving to another spot until that happens. Until I'm satisfied in my spirit that I, you have taught me everything you want me to know out of this, I'm not moving anywhere else. And when you get up and walk away from that word, what do you do? You meditate. Meditate. Think about it. Toss it around. Pray over it. Give it your attention. What do we usually do? Get in the car, pop the radio on. What we usually do, we go to some, you know, we get distracted. We, we occupy our mind and our time with all sorts of other things. Psalm 1, my favorite chapter in the Bible, blessed is the person who walks not after the counsel of the ungodly. What does that mean? If you're not walking after the counsel of the ungodly, you're walking after the counsel of the godly, which is the counsel of God. In other words, the person who pays attention to the words and the counsel of God is blessed. Blessed is a person who doesn't stand in the way of sinners. What does that mean? Well, if you're not standing in the way of sinners, you're standing in the way of the righteous. And righteous people are godly people. Blessed are the people who don't sit in the seat of mockers. Well, what does that mean? It means if you're not in the seat of a mocker, you're in the seat of a worshiper. And that person's delight is on God's words. And on those words, he or she meditates day and night. And what happens as a result? Listen, this is your experience. He will become like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Look, stop praying and begging God for fruit. He's not going to give it to you just because you prayed and asked for it. Fruit grows out of process. 
process. You plant tomato plants today, you're not going to have a tomato this evening. You can lay hands on that tomato plant and anoint it with oil and pray in tongues if you want to. You will have no tomato tonight. But if you properly water, care for, build a little fence around it so you can keep the varmints out of it, fertilize, you will get tomatoes if you go through the process. In season, the fruit will come. That's your experience. And that person's life, the leaves of that, the tree of that person's life will be big and beautiful and everything they do in the kingdom of God will prosper. Experience. There's your challenge. It's up to you. You join whichever category you sign up for, whichever team you want to be on, but you're not going to leave here on Easter Sunday without knowing. You came, you heard, you know. And here's what we all know is once we know, we're what? We're accountable for what we know. So maybe you ought to just regret that you ever showed up in here today because now you know. Now you know. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, it's been a fantastic Easter so far. And now you've given us your word again. And your word is powerful. And your word brings revelation. And your word cuts us up. And your word encourages us. And your word really does everything for us that we need. I've given your word away. It's your word. I just gave it away. And now... I pray that it was settled in the hearts and the minds of the people who are here that it will stir around inside of them, that it will not leave them alone, and that they will begin to dig and sit by the fire and ask you to talk and to reveal who you are and what you're doing and what you want them to do as their involvement in your work, that they would become true fireside disciples. I thank you for the ones who've already made that choice. And I pray for anybody in this room today who's never really made a decision for Christ. Well, that's step number one. And I just pray that right now, as we're still here in this room, and I'm praying to you that they would whisper their own prayer to you and say, Father, I'm making my start right now. I repent for being my own God, and I am making my start right now. And I pledge myself to dive deep, to dig deep, and to exercise complete dependence on you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for the risen Christ who, yes, did rise from the dead and is still alive right now. And the completeness of his story brings to us many convincing proofs that that is true. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.